All right. So uh, this weekend we are going to be wrapping up our uh, sermon series and uh, spiritual study entitled The Being Challenge. And many of you for the last, I don't know, uh, 40 days or so have been reading along with us through the book Being Challenged by the author Zach Zender. And you may remember, if you've been reading along with us, that we added our own like extra section to it, which seems a little uh, audacious, but it's actually not. We're just kind of adding on more scripture to it. Uh, And so we have a five-day supplement that was inserted into the back of that that we're going to talk about today and invite you to read along with. And um, if you don't have that in hand, like if you lost it, fell out of your book, or if you never picked up a book, you actually can use the Church Center app. We have it available for you for free on the Church Center app. You just click down in the little corner uh, where it says more, and you'll see all five days laid out there for you. You can start that today or tomorrow, whatever works best for you, as we explore what it means to lead out. That's going to be the sixth keystone habit we look at today. But to to kind of wrap things up, I want to go back to where we started. Uh, A couple weeks after Easter, uh, I invited you to consider uh, how Jesus had committed to community and invites us to do the same. We explored how the women and men and the girls and boys that surround us in life uh, have the opportunity to influence us in a particular direction. And it's either for the better or not. And so what we encourage you to consider is who are the people that are influencing you? And are they propelling you closer to Jesus or pulling you in a different direction? Now, what you're going to hear today is is that it's super important for you to be connected with the people who are close to you but far from Jesus. So we're not saying get rid of all friends who don't go to church with you. That's not it at all. What we're saying is uh, be intentional about the women and men, the girls and boys that you invite into deep places of influence in your life because they shape you one way or another, and we want to make sure they shape you to be more like Jesus. Okay, We see Jesus doing that. We'll come back to that in a little bit later on. Second habit, Pastor Randy reminded us of how fundamentally important it is for us as followers of Jesus to spend time in his word. It literally shapes us increasingly into the image of Jesus Christ. Let me give you one example. On Friday, uh, I had the opportunity to do the funeral for a a longtime member of this church. His name was Bob Pulse. He and his wife Shirley are in their 90s, and they uh, attend our our early service normally. Although for the last few years, they've had to do it from home, not just because of COVID, but also because they were just getting up there in age. And and, uh, what Shirley told me as we were getting ready for his funeral is they grew up together at a Lutheran school in the city of Chicago. Emmaus, I think, is the name of the church. And they met in fourth grade. Uh, they got confirmed together. She still had the bulletin from their confirmation service. Right? Still remember the hymns and their confirmation verse. They ended up going to Luther Institute, uh, which is what became Lutheran High School, uh, Lutheran North. Some of you may remember, and some of you even attended Luther North. They graduated in 1946. They got married, and they were married for, I think it was 70 years. Okay? Right? Just a tremendous legacy of faith. Um, what she shared with me, is every single night before they would go to bed, they would sing the sixth verse to the hymn, uh, Abide With Me, right? And some of us may know that hymn, especially the first verse, Abide With Me, Fast Falls the Eventide. They apparently had committed to memory the sixth verse of that, and they would sing it together every time before bed. And Shirley showed me a little passage of Scripture she had in her pocket, Isaiah 41, verse 10, which says, how about how we don't need to be afraid, for God is with us. And just story after story after story, Shirley told me about how the Word of God had literally shaped their identity, their, uh, their personality, 
and their relationship, right? Now, she's grieving, obviously, because she lost a dear friend, uh, but she's rejoicing because she knows Bob is uh, in heaven, and one day she'll be reunited with him, right? And I could say some of the same stories about Scott, all right, uh, who now rests with Jesus, too, and Trudy, and all of you in the family, we know and love you, and uh, he had a lifetime of faith and a dear love for Scripture. Scott Snively passed away early last week, suddenly, and his funeral will be here on Tuesday, and um, you were telling me, Trudy, about how he had that Bible, right? It was just kind of curled over with use and filled with notes and pencils, and so another legacy of faith and the shaping of lives through Scripture. If you haven't picked up yet that the importance of spending time in God's Word is a big deal here at St. Peter and just in general for followers of Jesus, hopefully it's starting to kind of settle in. Like that's an important one maybe to focus in on. Okay? Now, one disclaimer. We're not asking or expecting any of you to get super good at all six of these all at once. Uh, We're inviting you to think about one or maybe two that you could grab a hold of and lean into in this next season. So maybe it's going to be studying Scripture. Uh, I then talked about the priority of prayer. And we saw Jesus often, early in the morning, late at night, sometimes all night long, spending time with his Father in prayer. And if Jesus is perfect and he still prayed, that gives us permission to say we should probably do that too, right? We need to connect in relationship with God. And he says he is always listening and eager to hear whatever is on the desire of our hearts. And there's not actually a bad prayer you could ever pray. He may not give you what you ask for, just heads up on that, because he always gives you what is best for you according to his will. But, but connecting with the Father through prayer often goes hand in hand with our fourth uh, habit, that is seeking solitude. And so if you don't have moments in your day or days in your week or weeks in your year where you get alone with God, this is something maybe that you should think about. Uh, so for me, it's always early in the morning. I get up before pretty much anyone else in our house, and I love to make coffee because that goes hand in hand with priority of prayer and scripture reading for me in any case. And, um, uh, and I sit outside when the weather's good, like I did this morning, or it's still raining a little bit, but I'm like, I don't care, right? Just to be outside uh, in nature with God is just a great way for me to begin my day, right? Or it might be during the middle of the day or late at night. Each of you has different rhythms, but just think about when can you steal a few moments or a few hours or even more and get alone with God, your creator and your heavenly father. We see Jesus do this all the time, and it's an important habit for us as well. Last week, Pastor Tom Newell did a great job reminding us of how significant uh, corporate worship is. Whether in a room like this or gathered through live stream, both are still ways for us to connect in worship. And, and what we've discovered is that people who commit to that rhythm of weekly gathering with fellow followers of Jesus, girls and boys and women and men, um, we're not perfect, uh, but that's the point, right? We gather together uh, to support and encourage, pray for one another, and go deeper into our faith with Jesus. So choosing church like you've done today, super important, right? So that brings us to number six. You've heard us start to unpack this. We're calling it Lead Out. And what we're inviting you to consider is this sweet invitation that Jesus gives us in what we call the Great Commission to join Him in His work of redeeming and restoring all creation. Right? Literally, Jesus came down, spent about three years here on the planet, and then said, now I'm giving everything over to you. Girls and boys and women and men who are part of this thing we call His church here on earth, it is our job to bring good news, hope, and healing to the entire planet. And we're not supposed to stop until that's done. 
right? And so Jesus says, uh, this is super important. Now, here's the thing. Some of you may say, well, um, do we still need to do this? Is there still work to be done? We have uh, tools to broadcast a message, live stream, uh, cool apps, things like that. Uh, where is the mission field? Um, 29% recently, this was a statistic as of December of this year, Pew Research Center, 29% of U.S. Americans right now would say they have no religion. Fascinating statistic, and it's grown staggeringly in the 15 years that I've been a pastor. And you've probably seen this play out in your own life as well, people you know who are just disconnected from a local church. If you doubt my summary statistic, you can go to the Pew Research page, and here's the whole thing. You're not going to read all this. I just wanted to show you I didn't make it up, uh, right? It says over the 15 years from when I started as a pastor in 07 to now, uh, the number of people who identify as Christians has gone from 78 down to 63. And the number of those who say they either have no religion or they're atheists or agnostics has gone from 16 to 29, right? Um, if we look more closely, what we see is among Christians, this is especially a Protestant problem for whatever reason. Uh, people still, generally speaking, self-identify as Catholics in about the same numbers, 24 down to 21%. Uh, other smaller religious groups, Orthodox uh, Christians and so forth, they're smaller by proportion, but they've stayed pretty much the same. But you can see the number for so-called Protestants, that is Lutherans, Baptists, Catholic, or sorry, not Catholics, Methodists, a Presbyterian, all the others that resulted from the Protestant Reformation about 500 years ago. Now, what we also know, if we dig deeper into these statistics, is that's especially true for people my age and younger, right? I'm born in 1981, so I'm at the cutting edge of the millennial generation, uh, whatever that means, um, and what we know is millennials and zennials and all those that follow uh, increasingly are disconnected from local churches. Now, I'm glad to see a number of you in the room who fall within that category who say, yeah, I still want to follow Jesus. But here's one of the problems. Uh, my generation and the one following my generation have all the kids right now, right? And what that means is that there are children, generations of children that are being raised with absolutely no familiarity with the Bible, or with the Christian faith. And so increasingly what we're seeing is that the mission field isn't across the world, although it's still there too, and that's important. We'll come back to that later on today. But it's increasingly in our backyards, and it's increasingly in our workplaces, and in our schools, and in the places where we live, work, and play. So what we'd like you to consider today is that Jesus' invitation to go and make disciples of all nations is an invitation for you specifically to grab a hold of and to take as your own. Jesus says his desire is that every human on the planet would have a chance to hear the good news that he has come to embody and then to deliver. And then he says, I want them to hear it through you. Imperfectly, girls and boys and women and men who have become his disciples and want to live out that faith. Now, again, back in week one, we talked about how important community is, surrounding ourselves with godly women and men who propel us closer to Jesus and encourage and hold us accountable as we seek to put into practice his words and ways. And we looked at Jesus 500 and his 72 and his 12 and his 3, and it got narrower and narrower and narrower, if you remember, and, and he spent more time with the 72 and even more time with the 12 uh, disciples, and then especially even more with Peter, James, and John. Remember that? Right? And we talked about how some of those closest to us will have the greatest influence on us. When we think about 
uh, not just coming closer and getting into those in relationships, but instead spreading out and having global impact, we see Jesus kind of flip these numbers in a really interesting way. And that's what I want you to consider today. How is it that we, his church, reach all nations? Well, let's go back to Luke chapter 8. Uh, and this is uh, where we see Jesus bringing good news to the towns and villages in what we call today Israel and Palestine. Here's what it says, Luke chapter 8, verses 1 to 3. Soon afterward, he, was went, he went out through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. And he goes on to lift, list these women, Mary Magdalene, uh, Joanna, and Susanna, and some others. So here's what we see Jesus do first. He's out on his own, but he's bringing some people with him. It starts with one, Jesus the Messiah, the Savior of the world, but doesn't end with just one. Already one chapter later, let's take a look in Luke chapter 9, the beginning passage, what Jesus does. Here's what it says. And he called together the twelve, and he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And they departed and went throughout the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Right, so from Luke chapter 8 to Luke chapter 9, we see Jesus go from one, he's doing this all on his own with some people who are watching, to now number two, he's, he's authorized them, and he said, go out with my authority to preach, teach, heal, and cast out demons. Now keep in mind, Luke chapter 9 is pretty early in his public ministry. And so these 12 disciples, it's not like they're fully formed and have everything figured out. Right From the rest of the Gospels and all the way up to the end and even the book of Acts, we know there's still works in progress, which is encouraging for us because we are too. Right? None of us will ever perfectly embody uh, the image of Christ. None of us will ever perfectly follow His best in our lives. We're all in need of His continued grace, mercy, forgiveness, and love. And so we have permission imperfectly to get started with whatever we already have, putting into practice His words and ways, and then seeking to share it with those who are close to us, but far from Jesus. All right, now I said the 72 and the 12, the 3 and the 500, we're going to kind of roughly correlate to them. We see him one chapter later in Luke chapter 10, uh, take this message and authorization and multiply it by 6, right? From the 12 to the 72. Luke chapter 10 says this, And this, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, I want you to notice a few things about this particular passage. Right? Jesus sends out the 72 two by two. And they never go alone. They're always in pairs. And he sends them out ahead of him to the places that he has already going to go. Right? Jesus has already prepared a harvest into which he is then going to send each and every one of you. Uh, he's in charge of it. You have a job to do, but he's the one in control. He says, I want you to be on the lookout for the girls and boys and women and men who are already in your circles of life and influence. Right, so we talked earlier about younger generations in schools, at this school and also in schools across the community. What we've discovered in the last few years is we don't have to look hard for the mission field. They pay us to take care of their kids, which is pretty awesome. 
right? And they're part of our church, and they're members of other schools, which means they're already deployed into neighborhood schools all across the community. We just need to figure out how to give them some encouragement, help, and accountability to say, you are witnesses already. The harvest is already ready. But here's one thing you'll learn, right? Going back to our statistics from today, they're not disappointed that they're not at church this morning. (laughs) They're just fine with that. They got to sleep in. Some of you are like, I kind of wish I had slept in too, right? Maybe some of you did because it's our 10 o'clock service, right? But um, uh, for some of them, uh, they're on the fields of soccer games and t-ball. For some of them, they're not even thinking that church has any value for them. For some of them, they got burned at church when they were younger, disappointed by the community or by a leader who turned out not to be living with godly integrity. Sadly, that happens all too often, but not surprisingly because Church is filled with a bunch of imperfect people seeking to become more like Christ. So we're going to find warts and wrinkles and places where character needs to be formed. We shouldn't be surprised by that even here. But here's the thing. Uh, Most of the people that are out there in the harvest that we're talking about may never, ever enter into a church building in their life. The goal isn't to make them into church members The goal is to introduce them to Jesus. So here's the thing I want you to consider. When God sends you out, like these 72, he's sending you out into fields that he has already prepared. Jesus says, go to the towns and villages where I'm going to come next and prepare the way for what I am about to do. For some of you, the mission field that surrounds you uh, has people that will never, ever show up to church. But when you show up at their birthday parties... And when you sit in their backyards, or when you say a prayer for them at the checkout line in your store, or when, you're serv- when they're serving you food, you have an opportunity to bring Jesus to them when they may never have a chance to come find him in a place like this. Now again, like the 12, the 72 weren't fully formed. They were imperfect, and that's going to be the way of Jesus' disciples until the end. But let's jump forward a little bit chronologically to the book of Acts. Right, Part two from what Luke was writing. In Luke, uh, the gospel, he tells the story of Jesus here on earth. In the book of Acts, he says, Jesus is now ascended into heaven and he's sending out his people uh, as his witnesses to the ends of the earth. Right In Acts chapter 2, this weekend, we're remembering Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2, 120 of them were gathered in an upper room. Jesus pours out his spirit upon them and sends them to proclaim good news to the ends of the earth. And notice how he phrases it. He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Here's the reality. Wherever you go, you represent the thing that matters most to you, whether you realize it or not. In the words that you say, the actions you take, even the things that you wear, you seek to represent what matters most to you in the image or the identity you're seeking to live out. The question is, is that identity... And are those words and actions pointing people back to Jesus or to something else? Something to think about. Because Jesus doesn't say, if you want to, you can sign up and get to be my witnesses. He says, if I am in you and my spirit dwells within you, you do represent me. And so the challenge then becomes, if you're already representing Jesus where you live, work, and play, are you pointing people to Jesus? Now, some of you are like, shoot. (laughs) Right? 
because uh, all of us imperfectly do this. We get tired, we get lazy, we get distracted, right? We say and do things we know we shouldn't do. That's why every time we gather for worship, we confess that. And then we receive the forgiveness that Jesus freely gives. But he says, I've got that covered. I've known that from the beginning. I don't rely on perfect people to do my work. Instead, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect, what? In your weakness. So as you are, with what you have, still needing help, that's why we have the church here on earth for community and accountability. I want you to go. And I want you to love and serve whoever I put into your path and to do so with an intentionality, knowing that you are on mission and a readiness to accept whatever the opportunity is that God puts in your path. So where do you start? Here's the question we want you to think about and we want you to consider this morning. Who is someone already who is close to you but far from Jesus? Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's somebody in your neighborhood or somebody in your class or somebody at work. Maybe it's somebody you cross paths with every day when you go bowling or go shopping or whatever the case might be. But who is already close to you but far from Jesus? Maybe one or two will come to mind. A little later on in our service, we're going to invite you to do a deliberate act of prayerful and intentional action towards that person. But today, just for now, I want you to start thinking about who comes to mind. Um, pro tip. Don't pick the hardest nut to crack first, right? <laughs> right, because then you'll just be disappointed, right? But who is already open to you? Who is willing to hear from you and listen to you? Who is close to you but far from Jesus? Start thinking about that name. Start praying about that person. And then be ready to see what Jesus is going to do in and through you. Because this is how he brings his kingdom here on earth. And friends, we get to be part of it. Can I pray about that to close? Let's pray. Jesus, you left your church on earth in good hands to girls and boys and women and men who imperfectly seek to become like you and to put into practice your words and ways, including your desire to reach the world with your redemption and love. God, time, time and time again, we fail in this area. We stumble and fall. We do not live up to what you call us to be and do, and yet nonetheless, you have invited us to be your people, to get up when we fall, uh, to be refreshed and restored by your forgiveness and love, and to be sent out again with your power and spirit. God, for everyone in this room and everyone who's joining us from home, we pray that you would move us in this season to be on the lookout for the people close to us but far from Jesus, and to be ready to speak a word of grace and mercy, encouragement and kindness, to lend a helping hand, and to in any other way seek to embody your presence in their lives, because they may never have a chance from anyone else to hear about you and who you are. God, you are alive and well and on the loose, and you are redeeming and restoring this world. And though we may see it as something that's falling apart, nonetheless, we know that you are at work making something brand new and beautiful again. And so we invite you to grab a hold of us again and send us out into this wild adventure that is life with you and being part of your kingdom. We ask this all in the powerful name of Jesus. And everyone agreed and said, Amen.